Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? That's an important question. And Jesus asked the Pharisees that in the Gospel reading today, and it's one that we face as well. And the reason why the Lord asked this question is seen at the beginning where the leaders tried to test Jesus with a question about the law. Now, right before our Gospel reading picks up, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the opponents of the Pharisees, their political rivals. And he said to the Sadducees in his rebuke of them, he said, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. I had a professor at seminary who would yell that at us if we got something wrong. And those are harsh words. And it's what Jesus said in response to the question of the Sadducees that created. And so that, at least in the minds of the Pharisees now, when our gospel reading picks up, they think that they can have an opportunity to not only discredit the Sadducees, who didn't have a comeback to Jesus, but they can also find a way to stick it to Jesus as well. But as we see, what happens? The Lord silences them just as he had done with their opponents. So it's with all of this, then, that our reading picks up, and they ask question, this first question of Jesus. They send a lawyer, one of their, who's an expert in the law, to say, Teacher, what, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, at first glance, it might be an innocent enough question, not too nefarious, but they want Jesus to say something that they can somehow use against him, depending on how he answers it. They're always wanting him to take a position so that they can say, well, he says this, and you say this, so we should butt heads. But when the Lord answers them, it's nothing earth-shattering. It's something, really, that most of them agreed on. But the question, though, that Jesus then asked them gets to the heart of the matter. He sees what's really behind it. Just like, you know, if, if your kid comes up and asks you a certain thing, sometimes there's a question behind the question. Jesus says to them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So at first they don't realize that they've fallen into this of Jesus, of him seeing through them. So being good Jews, they say, well, David's son, right? We know that the Christ is David's son. But then things get surprising and they become a head scratcher. Jesus says to them, how then that David and this, how is it then that David and the spirit calls him Lord saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? So quoting this from Psalm 110, for Christ to be the son of David doesn't upset them. But what does upset them, though, is that the son of David is also the Lord. A son is not the Lord of his father. Unless both of them are lords and you're the father, son, and God in the flesh. And that's just who Jesus is. And not only that, but the one standing before them is the one who speaks with the authority of God himself, not just the authority of men that they have. He is the son of David who is also the Lord. And so then at that, they can't respond to Jesus. There's really no refuting this. What are they going to say? How are they going to come back to what he says? So they do What they can only do, they're silent. They're unable to answer him, just as their opponents, the Sadducees, had had happened to them not long before. 
So they thought they knew better. They thought that they could outsmart God. And then even when they tried to lay a trap, Jesus leaves them speechless. Now for us listening to this this day, there are some things that Jesus teaches us. The first being, and really what everything flows from, is that Jesus is the Lord who has all authority. And this is the truth that everything stems from, and it's connected to what Jesus shows. But you see, our sinful nature, though, likes to act like these Pharisees in the reading. The old Adam is sometimes called a Pharisee. That's his modus operandi. That's how he works. Because we think that we can somehow pull one over on God. That we can somehow get him to be subject to us. So when you say that out loud, and you think about how ridiculous that is, that notion, it's kind of funny. Pull one over on God, think you can outsmart God, think you can set up a trap for him that he's going to fall into. So anytime we hear that happen in the gospel readings, when we're sitting here reading it, we kind of just look, yeah, that's going to go well for you, right? I mean, really, come on, guys, it's not rocket science. It's not going to end well for you. You just want to say that to the Pharisees, right? A 70-pound elementary school kid has a better chance of running, rushing straight through a defensive line of an NFL team. He has a better chance at that. Or me dunking a basketball. That's not happening. But I have a better chance than somebody trying to get Jesus to forsake God's word, to fall into sin, or simply not know what the Lord has said. Because there's no chance of that at all. That's impossible. It cannot happen. And so it's funny. But then we go through life. And that's how we live at times. And so what does that say about how we think? What does that say about us? What does that say about what we think about Jesus? Now in that Old Testament reading, God says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. What do we think about Jesus and who do we think we are when we think We can disobey God's commands when we can reject his word. How foolish is it when we think God's word changes or that we can somehow find a loophole in God's law? Or to even add more insult to injury that how utterly ridiculous when we fall into sin and go against God's word, we want to blame it on God. Right In James we hear, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. God is not the source of evil. God's word does not lie, and God's word is true. So it's in all of this that God calls us to repent. God looks us in the eye and tells us that he is the Lord and there is no other. He cannot be mocked. His grace cannot be trifled with, and his word does not err, nor does it change. 
He alone is the righteous one, and we are called to listen to him. The one who says, the Lord to his Lord, sit at my right hand. But our sinful nature doesn't like that. Like we heard last week, our sinful flesh thinks it's something special, that we can somehow wiggle our way into God's kingdom on our own, or continue on our sin and excuse it away and think that we deserve the place of honor. Because we always think we're the expert. And when confronted with our sin or something we don't like in God's word, we can just pull out, aha, gotcha, God. And God will be like, oh man, you got me there. I guess you're right, and I've never heard that perspective before. You're the only one who has ever been able to live outside of my law and things go well for you. I guess I'm wrong. Sin likes to be like in the reading. It likes to test God into letting us have what we want. So in all of this then, the real heart of the issue is then what do we think of Jesus? Who has Jesus become in our minds? Well, the Lord is no longer the Lord. But instead, he's a weak servant who is there simply to make us feel better about ourselves or someone we can pull out of our back pocket to serve our purposes, like running for a political office, or someone who is convenient for us that we can lean on just when we think we need him. But you see, there's, the Bible calls that something, idolatry. And so in Romans 3, God says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So before our reading, the Sadducees were silenced. And our reading, the Pharisees and this lawyer, this expert in the law, silenced. When we think we can do the same with God, God preaches his word to us, and we're silenced as well. And so the call for us to repentance is a call to live out what Jesus said when he answered the first question of the lawyer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so that's what God preaches to you. He calls you to hear this word of the Lord. He calls you to confess your sin and to turn from it. He calls you to not test him, but instead to hear the word of God and keep it. So the two of those things, both tables of the law, the first three commandments between us and God and the second table, commandments four through ten, between us and our neighbor on the front of your bulletin, that's why you have those two the Hebrew letters, the two tables there. Those things go together. So having been silenced by God and despairing of ourselves, God proclaims to us his grace because he's shown us his mercy in Jesus. And so trusting in Christ, we see that Jesus is the one who is the Lord, who has accomplished salvation for us. He is the one who has fulfilled God's law completely and perfectly, the one who says that he has Love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and his neighbor as himself. That is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That is his love for you. And so you see this perfect love of God to and for you as you behold him as the crucified one who has made atonement for your sin. And God's wrath against you has been appeased by the shedding of his blood. And so that conclusion of the epistle reading today sums it up well of what you have in Christ when you look to him and not to yourself. 
Here again what St. Paul wrote by divine inspiration. He wrote, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Notice the Corinthians who had a really messed up church. Things were going wrong. And he gives thanks to God. Why? Because they were so great? No. Because of the grace of God that was given to them. He says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called, into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what a joy then to hear these words today. To hear that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord. And God has silenced you so that he speaks then that word instead. I forgive you. He is the Lord who has done all things well. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom through his means of grace. He's the one who all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and is all-encompassing. And no one can take that away from him. Anyone who tries is left silenced. And you see, baptized into Christ Jesus, no one can tear you away from the salvation he has won for you. And so humble yourself this day and do not lean on your own understanding. For that will lead to death. And you will be one of those enemies under the feet of Jesus on the last day. Instead, repent and receive what your Lord has done as he delivers it to you in his means of grace. And by the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel, go from this place. And in faith, work by the Holy Spirit, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. For this is who you are, as a new creation in Christ. The one who fulfilled all things is the one who has clothed you with his righteousness. And as you go forth from this place, confess it and live it. And so desire the things of God, yearning for his word, delighting in his commandments. And in all things, give thanks at all times and in all circumstances for Christ, who is the Son of God, the Lord. Amen.